Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 18. I understand Reverend Rossi is doing a series from Exodus, which is an excellent choice, uh, but I don't want to steal any of his thunder. And he knows that I'm preaching this morning from Exodus 18. And from Exodus 18, we read the first 12 verses. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, uh, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that God, the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair... They dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, before God. This truly is the word of the Lord. We will consider this passage together, that what our reading is the text this morning. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it would be tempting to turn this chapter into some ready-made, just add water, easy mix applications. If we were to read the rest of the chapter, you will read how Jethro advises Moses that he shouldn't take all the judgment cases on himself. It would be too much, but rather he should uh, divide that work of judging and leading among other godly men. Application, you should listen to your father-in-law once in a while. He might be right. Or this, Moses tells the Exodus story to Jethro, his father-in-law. Application, share the good news with your relatives. Or how about this one? Jethro offers sacrifices, and then they have food together. Application, it's a good idea to have a meal together as a congregation. Now, I don't know if that's ever been done sermonically with this chapter, but all of those things might be nice, they might be helpful, there might be grains of truth in them, but... None of those applications flow out of the passage in front of us. 
None of those applications require Jesus Christ. None of those applications require the work of the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and apply them to our own hearts at all. No. As we look at this chapter, it does tell us of a bright spot in the life of Moses. He is now reunited with his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. They had been separated from each other, perhaps for about a year, a year in time. And when the Lord had called Moses from the burning bush to confront Pharaoh, Zipporah had come along. And it was Zipporah who had circumcised her son. And then somewhere, we're not exactly sure, Zipporah and the boys go back to Midian to the care of Jethro, Zipporah's father. He is the priest of Midian. This chapter is not at all about happy family reunions, even though that happens in this chapter. That's not the, fo- the, the point. Because if you read the chapter carefully, Zipporah and the two sons, Moses' wife and his own sons, they actually fade into the background. They're mentioned, they come to meet Moses, but they fade into the background. And the spotlight of the text is to fall upon Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. And so in Exodus 18, Moses is reunited with his family, but the focus is on the grace of God in the life of one man. And so I minister God's word to you from Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12, under the theme, Jethro joyfully joins Israel's communion. We'll notice, first, a very pleasant reunion. Secondly, an important story. Third, a joyful confession. And then finally, a meal in Israel. Now, in verses 1 through 7, there is portrayed for us the restoration of Moses to his family. They had been separated for about a year. Because if you, if you read the story of the plagues very carefully, uh, we can chart uh, basically the time frame of the ten plagues. And yes, from plague one to plague ten, and then the exodus out, it is approximately one year. Now, Moses had met his wife at a well, and uh, Zipporah had twelve daughter, or seven girls, seven daughters, and they bring back this good report. We met this man, he was very helpful, and the father says, well, where is he? Bring him here. We'll invite him for a meal. And as time goes on, Moses marries one of those daughters, Zipporah. Now, Moses had been in the land of Midian for 40 years. He was a shepherd. He became a shepherd, one who cared for the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. He was away from his own brothers and sisters. For 40 years, he would be separated from his own people. And in that way, there's something of a reflection of Christ's own leaving the glories of heaven. Philippians 2, he laid aside his glory and then became a man and lived among us. Christ was separated from the glories of heaven, the worship of the myriads and myriads of angels. When God called Moses from the burning bush to return to Egypt, Zipporah and the sons came along. Now, the names are significant. 
and the names are, and the meaning of the names are given in the text. Gershom, a sojourner there. That's the kind of name that speaks of separation, alienation, maybe even of weakness. I'm a sojourner here. I'm a stranger in a strange land. But the other name is Eliezer. My God is a help. That name speaks of what God would do and did do for his people. He helped the people of Israel leave Egypt. He was a strong help, a strong hand, an outstretched arm that enabled these slaves to leave, and not just leave, they leave with Egyptian gold and silver and other gifts given to them. And when they had been pinned between the Egyptian chariots and the Red Sea, it was God, the Lord, Jehovah, who opened that Red Sea to allow His people to escape on dry ground, and then when the Egyptians pursue them, to destroy the Egyptians. I mean, if you send a, a hundreds of chariots, it's like the modern day sending in the tanks, the best tanks, and God destroyed them all as He saved His people. Now, it happened that when Moses had returned to Egypt, Zipporah returned to her father-in-law. But now, now, as God has brought his people to Mount Sinai, a word gets back to Jethro, the father-in-law. Moses is at Mount Sinai. He's at Horeb. And Jethro brings his daughter, Zipporah, and the boys along. Now they will be reunited. What a beautiful, beautiful story. But more than that, Jethro hears the story. Because earlier when he was in Midian, he had heard, verse 1, he had heard all that the God had done for Moses and for Israel. But now he comes to join with Moses and to get the details. The details. Is Moses home? No. No. He's not home, but he is now the leader of the people of God. You know, when, when Moses left, he had a staff in hand, okay? And maybe, you know, a bag with some food and, and other provisions for the journey back to Egypt. And one year later, Jethro encounters his son-in-law, and what does Moses have with him? Not just a staff, but thousands of people. And Moses is their leader. I mean, in one year's time, how do you go from you know, almost rags to riches, from having almost nothing to being the leader of a people of thousands and thousands? Well, they warmly meet, they bow, they kiss. It's, it's the Orient. They are together. And now they sit down, verse 8, to tell the story. It's a great story that Moses declares to his father-in-law. It's a great story. Now think of all that it included. You talk about ten plagues. Water turned to blood. Frogs everywhere. Lice covering 
uh, everyone's skin, three days of total darkness, and then finally, the death of the firstborn son. But there's more. Israel ate a Passover meal with luggage ready to go, standing, and then they leave in the night with Egyptian wealth handed to them. They get pinned, but God delivers them at the Red Sea. Now, those are the highlights. Those are the highlights. But there are also some discouraging negative things that Moses tells to his father-in-law. Before Exodus 18, there's the record of several struggles that Israel underwent following the rescue from Egyptian slavery. At Marah, the water's bitter, and they complain. So God miraculously makes the water sweet. They come to the wilderness of sin. They complain about the food. Moses, did you take us into the wilderness to kill us? I mean, look at the menu. We just get this manna. We remember the good foods we ate in Egypt. Did you take us here to die? You know, the Israelites begin to sound like, you know, we call them the children of Israel. And in many ways, they sound like children. I don't like to eat that. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Are we there yet? And God has to patiently take his children through 40 years of this. And Moses has to hear it. Well, later at Rephidim, they got thirsty and complained to Moses. But the rock gave them water. The Amalekites attacked them, seeking to destroy them. But through constant arms, hands in the air prayer, intercessory prayer, God's people are delivered. The church of the older covenant had enemies within and enemies without. It is just exactly like what Paul said to the elders at at Ephesus in Acts 20. Watch out, elders. There will be those who come against you from the outside to attack you. But from within your own midst, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing who will seek to undermine the teaching of the truth. Enemies without, enemies within. Now, Jethro wasn't there when Israel came out of Egypt. He wasn't there with all the complaining about the water and the food and so forth. And so Moses has to tell him this important story. He tells them of the blessings that the Lord gave, but he also tells them of the hardships, the weariness. He hides nothing. It's not a bed of roses. It's not a a flower-covered path that they're walking. And remember, in verse 8, it is not Moses' testimony about himself. No. But it is a story of God's dealings with Egypt and with Israel. The Lord has led us through rough moments. I mean, any congregation can tell you that. We've been through some tough times together. You know, people say, well, you know, what, what, what are the strong points of your church? And you talk about that. But then we also talk about, and we have weaknesses. We have sinners here. We're like a hospital where the sick, the spiritually sick come. But here we find 
medicine. We find the physician of our souls. He's here. We are the problem, but he is not. We tell it about ourselves sometimes. Here are my gifts, but you want to know my past? You, know when, you, you want to know my weaknesses? We all have brothers and sisters, but we come to Christ because he is the great physician. He is the Lord and Savior. He is the rock. He is our shield. He is our fortress. What does Moses do in telling this story? Well, earlier in chapter 9, he had been commissioned to go to Pharaoh and say, well, tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship. And then he gives the reason that you may know, Pharaoh, that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's it. This story, therefore, has God's great mission in mind, spreading the knowledge of his name across all the nations of the earth. The crossing of the Red Sea, therefore, was a powerful demonstration of God showing who is in control. God is in control. Thank you very much. And this Lord God proves himself superior when any enemy comes against his people. That's the story. That's the important story that Moses tells. And therefore, Moses is not just a lawgiver. He's also a storyteller. And that's important because whenever we read the Ten Commandments, and I tell the students this at the seminary, you must not neglect that little historical statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So that the laws of God are always dressed in the garments of the covenant of grace. Grace. You and I, brothers and sisters, have even more story to tell, don't we? I mean, think of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You go to the cross. Did the devil win? Our Savior, we thought he was the Savior. We thought he was Messiah, but now he's dying on a cross. But brothers and sisters, in dying on the cross, Jesus is taking away your sins and guilt. He's paying that debt you could never pay. He's buried in the grave. Did death win? They rolled a great stone in front of him. That He can't get out. <laughs> And yet the stone is rolled away not to let Jesus get out of the grave. The stone is rolled away to allow us to look in and see he's not here. Death is conquered. Christ is risen. Christ is risen from the dead, never to die again. The first fruits of those who come back from the dead. But where is he? Has he abandoned us? Oh, no, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He goes to heaven. He receives the fullness of the Spirit. He pours out that Spirit upon you so that the Spirit might take the wonderful things of Christ and apply them to you, to me, to all of God's children. Jethro tells an important story, a powerful story, but it's our story too, isn't it? Isn't that your story? 
Is that your confession this morning? As a believer, we own that story we, because we, we own the things that God has done for us, culminating, coming to a head in the work of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 to 11, there comes this joyful confession. Jethro has heard the gospel message of the older covenant era. God has delivered his people from slavery out of the hands of vicious tyranny. And how does he respond? He could have said, well, okay, you, you, you got out of Egypt, but boy, you are a grumbling mess of former slaves. I don't know if I want to join that. Well, he could have said that, but the Holy Spirit work is working in his heart so that he doesn't look at the people for their weaknesses or strengths, but he hears the story of what God has done. This is what God has done. He rejoices over all the good that the Lord has done for Israel. Verse 9, he's filled with joy. Well, he's not a young man anymore. I mean, Moses is 80, maybe 81. His father-in-law will be older. Second, Jethro blesses the covenant Lord using the same name that God had used to reveal himself at the burning bush. Blessed be Yahweh. Therefore, he recognizes that Israel, this people, this church, belongs to Yahweh. Pharaoh had tried especially hard to crush Israel. Proclamations, kill those baby boys, kill them. Make these people work hard, crush them in labor. But God is greater than any human tyrant. Thirdly, he confesses his faith in verse 11, saying something very important by the Lord. Now, very likely, Jethro had believed in a number of gods. Polytheism was rampant in that era, in that age. But now, now, verse 11, Jethro brings out in confession what he now knows and believes. On the basis of a story that he tells, that tells us again and again about God's grace. You hear those words? Now I know. Now I know. This statement is the heart of the section of the story. Now, whether this is the beginning of a brand new faith or simply the confession that he makes as he is gradually being sanctified, again, we cannot be sure. But it is clear that Jethro has been moved by the gospel to believe in the true God who has done great things for his people. This is why, if I may just say this, Churches that don't preach the gospel might turn out very nice people who have beautiful bake sales and, you know, clean the neighborhood. That may be true, but if they don't preach the gospel, they will not attract God's people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who are sick in their souls and who want to be healed. You preach the gospel of what Jesus has done for the life of the world. What he has done for his people. You see, other Gentiles will have this very same experience. Rahab, 40 years after the Exodus says, I know 
that God has given you this land. Because we remember the stories of you leaving Egypt, what you did at the Red Sea. We remember. How about the Greeks who come to say, we want to find Jesus? Or Nebuchadnezzar, I see four men. We put in three, but I see this fourth one who looks like the Son of God. And then decrees that his empire must give acknowledgement to the God of heaven and earth, the true God. A Roman centurion, a Roman, stands at the crucifixion and he says, not the Pharisees and not the Sadducees, he says, certainly, this man was the Son of God. And our, our list could go on and on. You see, young people, boys and girls, we are members of a church not because the people are perfect. They're not. You're not. I'm not. But we know where we can go to find that perfection. It's Christ. We know where we can go to find that healing. It's Christ and his word. It's here where we become family. You see, at a communion table, we continue to tell a story with joy. We confess our faith at this table. Whoever, whenever you partake, you declare, you proclaim, you say the Lord's death until he comes again. Finally then, verse 12, there's a meal. All of this calls for some kind of celebration. Joining together to enjoy food. And it's Jethro who brings the offering. You say, well, that makes sense. He's a priest. He knows the ritual. Aaron has not yet been selected as high priest with his sons. The Levitical laws have not yet been put in place. This is Israel at Mount Sinai. And Jethro comes forward with the animals and the things that are properly to be offered to God. You see, in this way... Moses evangelizes, if I can use that term, an outsider, and it was his own aged father-in-law. And therefore, Jethro is, is something like the first fruits of the heathen harvest field. He represents all who would come to hear the joyful story of what God has done for the life of the world and then enter into joyful fellowship with God's people. He's related by marriage to Jethro. To, to Moses, and that's wonderful. But now, in Christ, he becomes his brother. You know, here we, we speak of each other as, you know, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, brothers and sisters. But in Christ, in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And that's a relationship that grace secures and it will never, ever end. Holy Communion, therefore, is a time of experiencing the closeness of spiritual family. Now, that might include physical family, and when it does, that is very wonderful. But in a spiritual family, which the church is, we come to know each other as people brought together by the reality of what God has done in history through his own son, Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles, very different backgrounds. Russians and Ukrainians, Indians and Pakistanis, Israelis 
and Arabs, people who are elect from all the backgrounds and cultures of the world are made one new man in Jesus Christ because he breaks down that middle wall of, of hostility, Ephesians 2, and then he begins through the Spirit to build a whole new temple in the Holy Spirit. It's a great picture going on here in Exodus 18. God delivers his, his people. The message goes out. This leads to faith and worship. And then we conclude with a meal together to celebrate the great things God has done. In communion, we proclaim something, the Lord's death until he comes again. In communion, we are reminded that he will come again. And we, we will experience the beauty of Revelation 19 the marriage supper of the Lamb, where God's elect from all the nations of the world will be gathered to celebrate the grace of God himself. We are all looking forward to that, but we also look back because we proclaim what he did. He died, he rose again, he is with us to the end. God's adopted children come together this morning and we worship and glorify what God, Christ, and all that he has done for us. This is good news. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, seal to our hearts the reality of your gospel. Let us understand what you have done for the life of the whole world. But let us understand clearly what you have done for us. We don't deserve it. And yet we have received it. And we are so thankful, Father, for your amazing grace to us. We thank you, Father, for working in the heart of an aged priest from Midian so that his confession might come forward. His joy might be found not in himself, but his joy found in the great things you have done for your people. And so fill us with joy this day as we come to your table for Jesus' sake.